Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're talking about some pretty dangerous guys who was there, some gangsters. There were some pretty angry people there. I mean, to lose their money and be, be disrobed and embarrassed like that. And that wasn't something that was, was taken too lightly at all. It was such a nightmare to me. We don't want nobody here to get hurt. They knew what they was doing. The biggest hustler in New York, the biggest hustler in L.A., the biggest hustler in Chicago, had an undressed, lay on the floor and get robbed. They made threats against our family. They would go kill me, my little sister. They would go kill my mom. Their attitude at that time was that somewhere one day, they would pay. They said, fuck the man. These guys are going to die. From iHeartRadio and Doghouse Pictures, this is Fight Night. I'm Jeff Keating. Chicken Man's world was turned upside down. The party that was supposed to set him up for good was over. And now he was living a nightmare. He knew that even if he survived the masked gunmen who forced him to undress and lie on the basement floor, that the gangsters who entrusted him to host this party now have him on their minds. As the crowds continued to swell, the scene became too much for the robbers to handle. Here I am with James Martin, the owner of the house where the robbery went down. So, James Gordon is now downstairs with everybody else, and the crowds are starting to increase in size as they are coming to the front door. And what happens is a large group, James, comes up to the house. They obviously see the curtains drawn. They hear the music. But because there's so many of them now, one of the men or women in the back of the group sees when the door opens a gun and yells, it's a robbery or he's got a gun. Well, I would think that the neighbors would have reported it. We've got a cement walkway with grass on both sides leading up to the house. 
we've got a iron fence that is about two to three feet high with a big drop off towards the driveway, which means that you can't really jump or go to the right of the house if you're trying to escape. And they run next door to the left here. And from what I heard, they start banging on the door loudly and eventually get somebody inside to call the police. We've got the people down there on Handy Drive with the walkie-talkies. Because of the rise of the street, I don't think that they can see people in this yard right here. They can't see them rushing next door to call the police. Here's Chicken Man and JD discussing what happened when the partygoers approaching the house saw the masked gunman at the front door. People from watch the weather girl run next door and wander around across the street, one or two or whatever, because mm-hmm. there was a lot of them. They called it off. They said, this is it. Now, you in there already. I was in there. Said, I heard what they were saying on the, on the, on the walkie-talkies. Yeah, oh, I forgot. The, they, bought, they bought the walkie-talkies. And the guy said, listen, we got to get, we gonna, we got to get out of here. Ain't nobody got hurt. Nobody want to get killed. And the man on the outside, I hear the man on the outside, y'all better come on out of there, y'all better come on out of there, y'all better come on out of there. Okay. So they making everybody stay down, and they're gathering the acorns, whatever. And if the situation wasn't bad enough, they got even worse when the robbers decided to take hostages. Here's Chicken Man quoting what the robbers said to the victims, lying on the basement floor. Just stay where you are. We're going out of here. We're going to take two or three of these women with us, and we'll, we'll let them go. We don't want to hurt nobody, just the robber talk. Mm-hmm. We're not going to bother them or nothing. We're going to protect ourselves. And uh, that's the way they split. One of them was a girlfriend of mine who lived in the house. Can you tell her name? Barbara. Here I am with James, trying to figure out how the robbers made their escape with the hostages. That's where some of the robbers took off. Okay. Some of the robbers took off maybe the front. You know, James, this is what I really don't know. And that's the reason why they would have to have Barbara with them, because she'd have to have the key to the back door in order to get out. Unless they made her already unlock it earlier in the evening, which which I'm thinking they do, that they know that they've got to get access to that back door. The reason I'm thinking that they took Barbara with them is was be to unlock the back door. So they probably took her down the steps and, you know, she unlocked the door and they just took her with them. My thought is because they had the getaway driver about four blocks down that they walkie talked to him saying, hey, this thing is over. We got to get out of here. They zoom up here, maybe circle around in the cul-de-sac or whatever. They jump in the car and then go from there. I described to James the characters who were assigned to greet the partygoers at the front door, specifically the ruthless leader and main muscle in charge of the robbery crew, Fast Eddie Parker. Fast Eddie Parker would have been one of the gunmen at the front door, holding a 357 with a silencer. The other gunman would have been McKinley Rogers, holding a sawed-off shotgun. These guys grew up in Brunswick, Georgia, and ended up in New York as hustlers working together. 
Fast Eddie became the enforcer for Richard Wheeler, aka Cadillac Richie. One of Cadillac Richie's girlfriends, Jackie, described Fast Eddie as a terrible man. He was about 36 years old, he wore a short brimmed hat, and he always carried around a black bag. When George Plimpton, who wrote Shadowbox, asked Jackie if she ever looked in that black bag, she said, God no, God no, oh Lord, there could have been a head in that bag. <laughs> So these are like real gangsters that I see in the movies now. That doesn't even sound real. That actually happened. These were tough men with serious violent acts in their pasts. They had spent years doing stick-up robberies in New York, and now they were in the middle of the biggest heist of their lives. Here's J.D. with Chicken Man, guessing what the robbers did when the party became overcrowded and too much to handle. Then they started to leave. They left. Now, you may know more about the night they left. Okay, but see, what, 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 go ahead though. Let me just okay, they check. left. Now, I'm thinking that when they left, that the last people who left the party, last robber who left, must have been Bucky Brown and that gal who's taking the shit off women, okay? Here I am with James as we retrace the steps of JD's conjecture. Bucky Brown and Lillian Dabney were downstairs making their escape through the basement door. It's important to understand, James, we know that Frank Moten probably had a bodyguard waiting in a car on Old No and could have seen anybody coming out this back door and going through the backyard to that street. So we're walking into the backyard of the house now and going to retrace the steps of some of the robbers as they're doing their getaway. So it was all of this was open anyway. There was no fence on this back end. So they were definitely able to go through the backyard to get to the, to the back street of Oh No in order to get away. I'm assuming um, that. James, that's a very good assumption. You've got a clear shot of Old No. How far do you think that is? Maybe 30, 40 yards to the house? Yeah and then another 30, 40 yards. So, I mean, we're talking about one football field, maybe from the back of the house to Old No, where there would have been another car. Somehow, as the robber's leaving with this third woman, he sees that there is a getaway car, and he drops the girl and the gun and the satchel. He tells the woman, hey, baby, I got to get out of here. I got to drop you now and grab some leather. Something to that effect. But what's important to understand is that he basically has to leave her and the satchel and the shotgun at the scene of the robbery. And that's eventually what leads the police to their first clue. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, 
a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The robbers had made their escape and taken two hostages with them. Barbara Smith and another lady from New York. Chicken Man and all the other hustlers and gangsters were half-naked and trying to figure out what the hell just happened. And they were about to deal with the police, who were going to start asking them a bunch of questions. Here's J.D. and Chicken Man explaining to me why none of the victims wanted to report the robbery. They were all hustlers. Everybody's waiting to hear about them. The FBI and the IRS would have gone crazy. They put them all in jail. Local DAs would have put them in jail. Everybody wanted them. They knew what they was doing. They robbed it because they know we. If, if if that don't happen, if the people don't call the police because of the robbery, and they come in and rob everybody, leave, and none of us gonna call the police. It was such a nightmare to me because I, you know, the worst thing could have happened has already happened. The worst thing that could have happened has already happened. That's what Chicken Man told me when I interviewed him in 2004. Now, if you're Chicken Man right now, your head is spinning. You're thinking, what am I going to do? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my family? What the hell just happened? And what are Frank Moten and all these hustlers thinking just went down? 
Because if I'm Chicken Man, I'm thinking that they're thinking that I did it. Here's Chicken Man describing the scene in the basement once the robbers were gone. See what they did, they took everybody's pocketbook and shredded it like, mm-hmm. you know. We, dumped it. And looked through all the yeah. compartments. So everybody's driver's license yeah. was all in the middle right. of the floor among right. all the other cars and right. all this thing. Yeah. I mean, they just threw them all in the pocket. Yeah. So that's when everybody got a chance to see who was really there. Because otherwise, when you, when you came in, they put your face down to the floor so you didn't know. All you knew was some more people on the other side of you. You know, didn't know who they were. They made the girls down the floor too, huh? Everybody. Everybody. They had about eight chairs on a little makeshift bar we had. Mm-hmm. They had the girls sitting up on the bar. All the girls were coming up. Just to fill up the school. Oh, yeah. Eight or ten girls. But everybody else was on the floor. That's when I realized that some of the people who were there, where I knew them from different places, New York or what have you, because they did the inviting. I did no inviting. At some point after the robbers left, I'm guessing Chicken Man and Frank Moten must have exchanged words. This is a quote from The Black Godfather in George Plimpton's book, Shadow Box. We couldn't hear the radios no more. People slowly got up and looked around. Then they tried to find their clothing. It lay there in a tall pile like a rummage sale, and people were calling out, I got so-and-so's credit cards, but I don't remember much laughing. I recall the chicken man was wearing a pair of long underwear, and someone came up and said that if he was wearing long underwear, he must have known he was going to spend the night lying on the cellar floor. He was prepared, and man, that meant he was implicated. Chicken Man was looking guilty. The newspapers would report the claim that Chicken Man was wearing long johns. It could be the second most damning evidence that Chicken Man was involved in this caper. The first was that he owned the house where the party took place. Here's Chicken Man and J.D. reflecting on the mistake the robbers had made. Their attitude at that time was, they weren't worried about the robbers. They worried about the, the, the embarrassment. They did nothing else made them dudes mad. Their money didn't mean they, much. They, they didn't they give shit with, about their money, boy. It's it, it, it making a woman undressed. Boy, they didn't give shit about the money. They didn't give a damn, but they, didn't give, they said, fuck the money. The robbers fled the party house on Handy Drive with over a million dollars in cash and jewelry and took three hostages with them. Dozens and dozens of people had been robbed, and they were in shock. But as they began putting their clothes back on and rummaging through the pile of belongings on the floor, they realized they had no way to leave. Their car keys were gone. Here's the conversation between Chicken Man and J.D. describing when the cops first arrived on the the scene. So when the police come, I'm dazed. They took car keys. See, the man from Acme come out there and stayed out there half a day making keys because they took all the car keys. But when the police come, they didn't know nobody, bro. They saw me. They said, oh, chicken, what you doing here? This your house? Now, when when I look up, I see Lieutenant Bird 
Because the people trying to find a driver license, the women draws over here, mm -hmm. the, so and the police come. So the niggas asking no questions. You know, they said the robber went that way. They ain't they went to anybody nothing. Yeah, and I got to get my ass out of here. These motherfuckers this now go catch the robber. If you find him, then come back. But no, I don't know that. So when the man run into me, he take a man. And so he started asking me questions. So I said, listen, man. The robbery that happened, the people got the money, the people come in and stuck, stuck all of us up. So I'm, I'm, I'm telling them what the New Yorkers tell them. Don't ask me nothing. Mm -hmm. The robber went that way. Catch the robber. My understanding after it was over with and talking to Frank, I found out that the people were from everywhere. I, I was always sure of that. But after they got themselves covered, then they began to leave. <laughs> Everybody split. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. 
Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. As the hustlers and gangsters tried to find transportation to leave Chicken Man's house, he was still in shock and worried sick about Barbara and the other lady taken hostage. I took him up there on the north side and uh, Bankhead, and the barber said, the guy said, if I, uh, said, baby, you sure was nice to me, I have buy any time, I just carry you on with me. And, and, uh, and give him, he said, well, how are we going to get back? And they give him $20 or something to catch a cab to come back to the house. They let them go. They let them go. They let them go, that's they right. They took him up there and, uh, it's unbelievable that Barbara and her friend would be able to find a cab at around 3 in the morning on a dark, deserted street. Some reports say they picked up a ride from some late-night partiers still celebrating Ali's victory. In any case, Barbara and her friend made their way back to the house on Handy Drive, while Chicken Man watched the gangsters who were robbed gather their clothes and leave. Some of them were just trying to get to a bus stop or whatever. They wanted to get back to the hotel because all of us was checked in somebody's hotel. None of them lived there. So, and we called cabs and cabs came and cabs came. Their attitude at that time was that they didn't, they, they wasn't worried about the robbers. They didn't know the robbers had a terrible mistake. And somewhere one day, they would pay. of a guy, the biggest hustler in New York, or the biggest hustler in L.A., or the biggest hustler in Chicago, having undressed, lay on the floor and get robbed. I mean, the rest of his life he has spent trying to find who, 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 uh, did, who did that, and he's going to kill him. That's what was told to me. Most obvious thing in the world was, these guys are going to die. After the robbers left and the police came to the house, we went to a hotel, the next morning, while Chicken Man was at a hotel, sleeping off the horrors of the night before, one of the hustlers who got robbed was in front of his house, being interviewed by WSB. Where the hell is that? And this fellow walked up to me and took the shot, said, stick your hands up. And I said, oh, man, stop jabbing. And hit him right there. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm not jabbing, buddy. And he pushed me right in the corner. When he pushed me around the car, and he told me to get up against the wall, it's a shotgun to my head, and said, I'm not, he said, this is not no stage joke. I'm not jiving. I'm for real. And when he said that, I was ready to punch him in his nose. Plus, I just had saw the fight. And by that time, two or three more fellas came out with shotguns and said, he's not jiving. When Chicken Man finally gets up and leaves the hotel, he stops off and gets a newspaper. He was surprised to see his face on the cover. This is the same article my father showed me at the Decatur Library almost 20 years ago. And when I came out to the hotel the next morning, my picture's on the front page of the paper, talking about the robbery, and, and they put a cash value amount on the, on the robbery. So I called his lawyer, but it made news newspaper all over. I see my picture on the paper and the people robbed us and we ain't robbed, you know, and, and, but I knew what that meant. When it, it was like I had robbed the people. It's like I had set it up. Here is a piece from the Atlanta Journal on October 27, 1970, which describes the estimated take from the robbery. 
According to Lieutenant Byrd, one of the first detectives that showed up at the heist, one of the gunmen threatened the guest with this warning, and I quote, If you raise your head, I will blow it off. End quote. From the same article, and I quote, One of the guests informed me that his loss in jewelry alone was about $20,000. There's really no way to set the exact loss since the majority of the victims refused to file official complaints. However, several said it would be $100,000 and $200,000 or possibly more. End quote. The total haul from the robbery would increase over the next few weeks. We know the partygoers did not want to talk to the police because that would lead directly to the IRS and FBI asking questions. We also know that Chicken Man was the key suspect in the robbery. And the next day, J.D. Hudson was assigned to the case by the chief of police, Herbert E. Jenkins. And the chief say, Lieutenant Hudson is running this damn thing. He's supposed to direct it to me. And we were not shaped, the chief shaping and I fell out about that, and he never liked me since then, quite frankly. At that time, he was, the chief detective was superintendent of the detective. Okay. Now I was a detective lieutenant. And you were a detective lieutenant. And so was he supposed to have... He was my boss. He was your boss. But now, boom, his boss is telling him that you're in charge of the investigation. And I report to him. And you report to the chief. And what was the chief's name back then? Herbert E. Jenkins. The chief called me and, and told me he wanted me to handle the case because none of the hustlers would talk to the police, would not talk to the robbery detective, would talk to anybody. And so uh, I started the investigation. When the robbery happened, he took charge. Chief of Police Herbert E. Jenkins gave J.D. Hudson a partner, Lieutenant Joe Amos. Amos was working international security at the time, but they were both pulled off their regular assignments and worked this robbery case together for the next several weeks. I remember one day I was coming down Martin Luther King, and it was shortly after the robbery. So I was I was visible when they, when the robbery. Happened. I wouldn't get out of sight for five minutes because I didn't want people to think I'd go and count the money. And him and Amos was together, his partner, turn around on the siren, and. Uh, he wanted me to come down to the station, identify some things. I said, J.D., I, I don't want nothing to do with that. I'm, y'all got them, do what you can with them, but uh, they don't rob me. I don't even want to see the robbers no more. Well, you know, what I want to do, I want to talk to you to see, you know, could you help us figure out who the robbers were? Because yeah. you know, I, I knew that, uh, 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 I don't know whether Joe was convinced or not, but I was convinced that you, uh, were not involved because, uh, like I said, I was able to place you at the fight. Yeah. J.D. Hudson knew Chicken Man was at the fight, so he assumes he had nothing to do with the robbery. How about people who were at the party? Did he know any of them? Here's J.D. Hudson and Chicken Man talking about that. I was never really told who all was there because, quite frankly, I didn't want, I didn't want to know. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't know who was there and what they did, and also find out what happened. Because yeah. if I start trying to find out who these people were and what, you know, what they did in life, they wouldn't have told me a damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. The only reason people ever talked to us, we got people to talk to us, is because uh, the local hustlers told them that 
uh, we were people uh, that we talked to, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, they could trust us. And you know you had to, you had to, you had to decide whether you wanted to be a a vice squad detective, a racket a racket detective, an investigator, or a robber. Yeah. My mission was to investigate a robber. Yeah. In talking to some of the hustlers, they told the guys who I was, all about me, and that they could talk to me because I didn't care what they did, wherever they were, came from, in their homes. Well, they asked concerned about we didn't want nobody killed in Atlanta. But the chief's instruction was don't get nobody killed in Atlanta, anybody else killed. The next few days after the robbery, Chicken Man was trying to stay alive and clear his name with the press, the police, and the gangsters that he assumed were trying to have him killed. And he was most concerned about his family's safety. Here's Gordon Williams Jr talking about the threats against their lives. People thought he was responsible. Everybody thought my dad set that party up. I mean, it came out on the news, it came out everywhere that Chicken Man had set everybody up. You're talking about some pretty dangerous guys who was there, some gangsters. So they made threats against our family. We had threats about they would go blow our house up, they would go kill me, my my little sister, they would go kill my mom. You know, they were going to kill us because my dad had taken their money. Fight Night is a joint production from iHeartRadio, Will Packer Media, and Doghouse Pictures in association with Psychopia Pictures. Produced and hosted by Jeff Keating. Executive producers are Will Packer, James Lopez, Kenny Burns, Dan Bush, Lars Jacobson, and Noel Brown. Supervising producer is Taylor Shacoin. Story editors are Noel Brown and Dan Bush. Written by Jeff Keating and Jim Roberts. Edited by Matt Owen. Mixing and sound design by Jeremiah Kulani Prescott. Music written and performed by the Diamond Street Players. Additional music by Ben Lovett. Audio archives courtesy of WSB News, Film, and Videotape Collection, Brown Media Archives, University of Georgia Libraries. Special thanks to Dr. Maurice Hobson and David Davis. Fight Night is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew 
who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.